From DDoS attacks to account takeover fraud, what fraud trends will banking institutions be most focused on in 2013? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Bill Nelson, President and CEO of the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, who shares insights about technology investments, strategies, and trends the industry is watching. Bill, distributed denial service attacks have garnered quite a bit of attention since mid-September. How are banking institutions responding to concerns about DDoS attacks being connected to fraud? Well, thank you, Tracy, for this opportunity to speak to your audience. If I look backwards, back at 2009 to 2010, we really saw a big uptick in account takeover, particularly of spear phishing attacks against businesses and financial institutions of all sizes and their customers. In 2011, the trend started to see a lot of DDoS attacks by hacktivist groups mostly, you know, like Anonymous. And their objective was a little different. It was really to disrupt operations, the online banking channel that many consumers use with their banks. In late 2011, early 2012, and really throughout 2012, we've seen a lot of these DDoS attacks, but this time not from anonymous, but from really cyber criminals who have used it to disguise their account takeover attacks. And from a fraud usage standpoint, the criminals are using it so if you do get defrauded as a business, let's say, you can't get access to your account, and nobody can because of this DDoS attack that's going on. Now, as you've noted, Bill, these DDoS attacks, of course, are not all equal. Some of them are waged by hacktivist groups for political and social reasons, while others, of course, are waged by criminal groups to perpetrate fraud. How are banking institutions balancing the two? I don't know if you really need to balance them because I think the purpose and the motivation behind the attacks are probably irrelevant. They're basically the same type of attack. So I think the mitigation services that you use, the techniques you might use in terms of really to mitigate that DDoS attack is going to be the same whether it's a hacktivist or a criminal group. I think the difference is that with a criminal attack, you really need to be aware that some of your customers may be affected. So it's important to do some anomaly detection and be able to detect some of the uh, activity that's going on that may be criminal related. And then what about communications with customers and members? How can banking institutions balance public relations and information sharing without revealing too much information that can be used by some of these attackers against them? Yeah, that's a a great question. We really have to be careful because we don't want to have too much information available for the attackers to help their business case for the next round. You know, they may decide that there's some new techniques that they could use to circumvent some of the measures that we're employing in the industry to combat these attacks. I think in terms of public relations, it's really a decision for each firm in whether to use public relations and go out to the press versus direct communications with the customers. I mean, you can do both. You can do just one. I think it certainly makes sense to do direct communications with your customers. That way, nothing gets distorted. I'm not saying that all the press has distorted the press releases that the financial institutions may issue, but these are facts then without any uh, particular angle or other type of agenda that might be going on. So I think you can get right to your customers and tell them the facts as you know them and certainly uh, lay out what their options are. Now, Bill, do you agree with industry experts who have suggested that addressing DDoS attacks will be a priority for banking institutions in the coming year? I think DDoS attacks present a number of uh, issues, and, and they're really a priority not just for banks, but I think internet service providers, other sectors, government, and law enforcement. And I look back at the DDoS attacks from the hacktivist groups like Anonymous. I think after the 
FBI made some very high-profile arrests about a year, year and a half ago, we saw a big decline in the hacktivist types of attacks, making this a priority within government, I think, is also very important. And talking about fraud concerns, the FSI SAC, of course, has just released an update about commercial account takeover fraud based on data that's been collected from 100 U.S. financial services firms from 2009 through the first half of 2012, and you've talked a little bit about this already. What can you tell us about the state of account takeover fraud? I think the attempts are up. We're seeing that really around the world. We've met with some European financial institutions, and their fraud is way up from account takeover, the number of attacks. Uh, We've seen it in Asia and Japan, and we're seeing it in the U.S., so it's not like it's unique to the U.S. But based on the survey result, the good news is I think the financial institutions are really uh, doing a good job and have the ability now that maybe they didn't have a few years ago to detect and prevent and really respond to these attacks. So I think that's gotten much better. Now, the majority of these account takeover incidents involved wire fraud based on this most recent results survey that you put out. How did ACH and check fraud compare? Yeah, the majority is wire, but if you compare that to previous years, and we have a number of different ways to measure it. To measure it where commercial account takeovers, where monetary transactions were created and were sent out of the FI, the financial institution. If you look at wire, back in 2011, that counted for about 91% of those account takeovers, which transactions were created and sent out of the FI. And the latest survey accounts for 82%, whereas ACH in 2011 was 9%, that's up to 14%. Other mechanisms uh, really didn't count for much of anything in 2011, things like checks, etc., but that accounted for 4% in the first half of 2012. I think another interesting category is when there's actual losses by the financial institution. And so losses to the financial institution from wire transactions have actually decreased from 73% of total loss in 2011 to 39% in the first half of 2012, while losses from ACH have increased from 27% to 52%. Another big increase was losses due to other transactions, such as check issuance, and that increased from zero to 9%. So we've seen you know, the numbers you know, growing a little bit in terms of the actual transactions leaving the bank, but where losses are actually occurring to the FI, there's more losses now from ACH than there are from wire. During the first half of 2012, 65% of account takeovers did not actually involve monetary transactions. So what did they involve? Well, that means it actually the transaction did not leave the financial institution. So if you look back to 2009, 70% of account takeovers actually left the financial institution and resulted in a loss. That's down to 9% today. 26% today actually have left the financial institution, the monetary transactions were created, but were stopped prior to the funds leaving the bank. 9% of the 65% where no monetary transactions were generated. That means the account takeover started, but the bank, because of their different risk mitigation methods that they've employed, have been able to detect it and prevent it from leaving. So yeah, there was an attempt to create the monetary transaction, but it wasn't successful. So I think that's a huge change from 2009, going from 6% to 65%. That's a big improvement on the uh, procedures that banks are using. And so what types of investments have you seen banking institutions making to improve their detection and prevention mechanisms? In terms of the types of methods that the banks have employed, there's a number of different ones. And the survey actually came back and asked which ones were actually effective. And, uh, of course, customer education, which is recommended, I think that was the number one, telling your customers you know, what to look out for, not to click on those links, making sure your antivirus is updated, et cetera. Uh, and for business customers, making sure they have better use of different 
different tools that the bank can employ. And then I think another effective tool in terms of reducing losses, according to the survey, is actually shutting down the customer's online access once the anomalous activity is detected. So if you see some anomalous activity within the bank, you actually shut down that particular customer's access to the online system. Another thing that's uh, fairly popular is manual review of ACH or wire transactions above a specific dollar amount. I think that's more common in wire because of the batch nature of ACH. You're not really going to look at individual ACH transactions. That may explain why they've been able to stop a lot of these wires too. The other two categories in the top five, one is analysis of customer login characteristics and patterns was rated number four. And the fifth most popular tool in, in reducing account takeover fraud is actually interrogation of the customer session to detect anomalous traffic. What areas still need to have improvement where technology and perhaps customer education is concerned? I think one area to consider that I think has been very effective is the use of either a dedicated computer for commercial online transactions or using a separate browser. There's a number of vendors out there that really didn't exist in 2008, 2009. A lot of this stuff got started, but you can actually have a secure browsing experience in creating transactions. Even if your computer is infected, you're using a product that diverts it to a secure browser, so you're not impacted by the Trojan that might be on your computer or your network. And the reason I bring that up, I think some customers may be reluctant to embrace that, but I think if you do it, you're not saying it's absolutely foolproof, but certainly raises the bar for the cyber criminal to get around that. In fact, with a dedicated computer where you don't allow email or other types of web browsing, I don't know of any case where that's been circumvented. And that goes back to some of the layers of detection and layers of security that the FFIEC has recommended. How has conformance with the FFIEC's updated authentication guidance actually improved banking institutions' response to account takeover fraud? Yeah, I don't have any direct data to support this argument, but I think anecdotally, I think it has been effective, and it's really raised awareness among institutions that are regulated by the FFIC. But even the state banking authorities have gotten involved, and recently they produced a document that state-regulated institutions are starting to implement. It's a series of recommendations that they have now guidance. I think because of that raised awareness, we're really seeing it across the whole industry that people are going out and taking security. And uh, one banking transactions uh, seriously. And where would you say, Bill, up to this point, banking institutions have focused most of their attention? Has it been on risk assessment, customer education, or technology? I think that they focused on technology in the past. It's really not technology alone type problem. And I think customer education, many of them now have embraced that from what I've seen. And I know most financial institutions conduct customer seminars and webinars, et cetera. But I think risk assessment is also important, and that's part of the FFIC guidance and what the state banking regulators have done, too. And you really have to look at, I'm different. You know, I, I may be a small bank, a community bank. I'm not the same as a large money center bank. I may have different uh, types of products and services. My customers are different. So the tools that I need to implement may be a lot different. They may be, in some cases, simpler to implement, in some cases more difficult, and they may need to use a third-party service provider to help them through that. But yeah, I think we're seeing more focus in the future on risk assessment. And what types of investments do you expect to see financial institutions making in 20- I think we'll see, uh, again, more investments in tools uh, like anomaly detection, like multi-factor authentication, other types of tools that will actually uh, help the customer verify the transactions are ones that they have originated or sent. I think as we go forward, there needs to be more also investment in securing your own network, too. 
as a financial institution. It's not just your customers that are impacted, but we've seen an uptick in the number of attacks directed at the financial institution themselves. So you have to make sure that your people are educated, not just your customers, your employees are, and that you have a secure network and systems that can hopefully make it difficult to be compromised. And then before we close, Bill, what final thoughts would you like to share about fraud trends and the steps institutions are taking to address them? Yeah, Tracy, I think we're going to see in the future, and well, like we've seen in the past, uh, not the same thing that we have today in terms of the threats out there. We're going to see a continued escalation of the sophistication of the types of hacks that occur, but also more combinations like we've seen in the last year with DDoS combined with account takeover fraud. We may see more of that type of almost collaboration between different types of tools that the cyber criminals may use or political activists. That's really what the future is in terms of the threats that we have. In terms of how institutions can address them, I mean, clearly uh, you know, sharing of information. I mean, our, our middle name is information sharing, but FSISAC is a, a nonprofit organization. We're dedicated to sharing information to protect the financial services sector. Part of that is also sharing with government and other sectors. So what we're seeing from government uh, can also be helpful in, uh, in terms of the threat indicators. The types of attacks they're seeing may actually be a precursor to what we're going to see in the banking industry or vice versa. I think sharing of information, really having uh, somebody turn to for help if, if you are attacked, I think that's helpful. And as people share their information about the attacks they've seen, I think it really helps the next guy that uh, may be attacked tomorrow. Bill, I want to thank you again for your time today. Well, thank you, Tracy, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Again, we've just heard from Bill Nelson of the FSISAC. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.